millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Condensed Histories. I'm Jem Daduchu, and what we do on Condensed Histories is, well, we condense some history. But out of what, I hear you say? Well, pop culture. It might be a game, it might be a TV show, might be movie or music or anything out there, really, that's caught the popular imagination. And we, first of all, condense what that is, perhaps a little bit about the story and background of that thing, whatever it may be. And then we also condense the history that's in it, because do you know what? Nothing's made in a vacuum. So either deliberately or sometimes subconsciously, there's real history that we can learn something about lurking just underneath the surface. So what are we doing this time round? Well, I'm going back to Warhammer. And if you're sitting there going, uh, this again? Look, this is, this is a, it's such a rich topic, I promise I'm going to be talking about stuff that I've never mentioned before in the world of Warhammer. And if you like Warhammer, hi, welcome back. This is not a Warhammer podcast, but I like it, and I'll tell you why in a moment. And so this is the third one that we've done about Warhammer. The first one, we talked about how it all started as a company and its games, with some remarkable connections to some huge bits of pop culture in the 80s and 90s. And then in the second one, we went a bit more of a deep dive into the world of Warhammer 40,000. That's the science fiction one. But Condensed Histories is not a Warhammer podcast. You know, we, we've done lots of other things like Expanse TV show or Monopoly or how about ABBA? So please, I hope you keep coming back because each week it's a bit different. Even though I keep riffing on this particular vein of pop culture, the reality is there's so much to talk about here. And I just want to be clear. So I did this a lot when I was in my teenage years, when the company was still very much evolving and finding its feet. And then I went away from it all because I went to university and wanted to have a girlfriend. And generally, they certainly in the 90s, they weren't into Warhammer. Big up all the ladies out there who are into Warhammer. You do whatever you want. And I have great communication, some great painting ladies online in the world of Warhammer. It's great. It should be inclusive. It should be there for everybody. But I'm just telling you the realities back in 1993, walking into a bar going, hey, I know what a white scar space marines are, would not get you a date, okay? And this is before Tinder and things like that. So I put it all to one side, had a career, had kids, allowed them to ferment to the right age, and then they walked past a Warhammer shop and went, ooh, what's that, daddy? And so it's brought me back into it. 
but certainly over lockdown, because really it's about playing a game. You and another person opposite each other at a table, moving these little toy soldiers around. Basically, that's what it is, a little plastic toy soldiers, which you've painted and rolling dice and seeing whether you hit or miss or, or what have you. So there's definitely the, the game side of it, which obviously has been hugely curtailed during the COVID era. But I did mention there about the painting. So sitting there painting something you know, completely weird and wonderful. Also, you've got to glue it together. So by the time you've glued it together and you've painted it and you kind of got it the way you like the look of, you know, that's taken up a few hours and it doesn't involve screen time and you're not stressing about work or something like that. So a lot of people find the hobby quite therapeutic. But which aspect are we talking about this time round? Well, going back to the 1980s, when in particular Warhammer 40,000 was released in 1987, is this is just an entire era before the internet. So they were quietly creating this game. They could kind of control its intellectual property and it was fine. But everything changed in the early 2000s for two reasons. One I'll come on to in a moment, but you then get the world of, of social media. We get the evolution of Facebooks and Twitters of this world and YouTubes, etc. And it meant that some of their choices early on became a bit problematic. One of the things they said is that Space Marines, these are sort of the genetically enhanced, armor encased, guardians of humanity. They're faster, tougher, quicker than any human who's ever existed before, and larger too. They're usually about sort of eight foot tall. Best of the best of the best, sir. <laughs> yeah, with honors. And they're encased in this sort of power armor. So basically one space marine, if it landed on planet Earth right now, would probably be able to conquer the whole planet because yeah, they're super soldiers. So anyway, you might have a whole platoon of those, or you might be fighting one of the alien races, whatever it may be, or playing one of the alien races. But the thing about the Space Marines is they're utterly loyal to the Emperor and to the Imperium of Man, and therefore we get some things that, well, as I said in the last one, there's quite a lot of fascism in Warhammer 40,000. It's a militaristic society, which is very xenophobic in its literal meaning of the phrase, fear of the alien. But as I pointed out, if these aliens are trying to eat your face off or disintegrate everybody on the planet or with the orcs just fight and kill everybody, there might be a reason you might want to be xenophobic in that situation because it's a terrible, brutal world or, or galaxy that they live in. As the catchphrase which started with the very first edition and is still around today, in the grim darkness of the future there is only war. So that the symbol of the Imperium of Man, this is basically all of humanity attacked on all sides by all these various forces, is the two-headed eagle. So if you've got this iconography of like guns and eagles and things like that, it isn't a huge jump to get to things like the Nazis. And there is definitely a tiny, tiny, very small, utterly poisonous part of the hobby world who are basically neo-Nazis or white supremacists and they don't kind of see anything wrong with that. And, and this is unfortunate because a lot of the early stuff in Warhammer 40,000 was very heavily influenced by another subversive British icon, 2000 AD. And 2000 AD had lots of different comic strips in it. Strontium Dog, Rogue Trader, Slain. These might mean something to you, but the most famous one that appeared every week is Judge Dredd. Now, Judge Dredd was created by these sort of semi-anarchic, left-wing, 
writers and artists and he is very much a sort of fascist policeman two movies have been made about his exploits neither of them did well in the box office one's perhaps better than the other but anyway the point is this it was satire it was trying to sort of show particularly in the 1980s he, he was invented in the 1970s but in particularly in the 1980s it was very much a pushback against thatcher's britain and the fear of the rise of the right and you know look satire goes that's fine but it's kind of been lost. And so people don't necessarily get the joke 30, 40 years later. And it's kind of the same thing with the Imperium of Man. As I said, you know, some of the writers have referred to it as everybody's wrong. But if this is my army, I'm going to start associating with it. And the thing about the eagle is it's weirdly an incredibly popular icon of various empires. Of course, we can all associate it with, as I mentioned, there's the Nazis, but the Romans had an eagle as a symbol. And for the intervening period between the Romans and the Third Reich, you had the Holy Roman Empire in sort of Central Europe, like largely Germany and Austria. And that had a two-headed eagle. And the symbol of Tsarist Russia under the Romanov dynasty, they had a two-headed eagle. So having a two-headed eagle doesn't automatically make you a fascist and doesn't actually have anything to do with white supremacy, but it's certainly got something to do with militarism. None of these things I've just mentioned were bastions of democracy that were all about peace and love. So yeah, it's a problematic symbol, which has now at times been hijacked and turned into something it was never meant to represent in a way that was showing you the worst that humanity can be, not you shouldn't ever be looking up to the space marines. But of course, there are deep, dark corners of the internet that do all this horrible stuff. The second thing is there are an awful lot of crusades going on in Warhammer 40,000. So I think I mentioned last time, basically the empire of humanity or humanity civilization across the galaxy got split up during the sort of dark age of warp storms and dark age of technology and things like that. And so from Earth, we get the emperor of mankind who goes on the great crusade to reunify all of these human colonies across the galaxy the great crusade and there are multiple different crusades and right now the ninth edition of warhammer 40,000 came out in the summer of 2020 and they're going on the space marines are off again on the indomitus crusade so even now into the the 20s the 2020s as it were we're still getting to use the word crusade there was even a spin-off simplified version of warhammer in the 1990s called space crusade crusades in space and that's again quite problematic and the word crusade really has changed over the last let's say 25, 30 years, big time. Because this gives me an opportunity to talk. I've already mentioned the eagles and fascism and things like that, but now let's talk about the Crusades. Because do you know what? It's one of my favorite topics. And Greg, who is editing this right now, will, I don't know, maybe he'll jump in or maybe he'll do something to remind you that he's still there. Hello. And the very first time we ever spoke, I was a guest on his podcast and I got to talk about my first published book, which is called Deus Vault, A Concise History of the Crusades. The Crusades is what I specialized at university, for example. So the Crusades are, how can I put this, close to my heart, but don't think that I'm a crazy person. I'm not my mother had me tested. And that's the thing, because in the book, Deus Vault, the first chapter 
talks about this change of attitude. So I want to go through a little bit about what is a crusade and why they're definitely problematic, why Games Workshop has painted themselves into a corner. They can't just start pretending that they haven't been talking about crusades for the last 30, 40 years, but why they might want to stop doing it as well. However, it does play into the very worst that humans can, can be. Back in the 1990s, when I went to university, there was no topic more obscure and pointless as the Crusades. Nobody cared. Nobody had an opinion on what was the good and bad elements of the Fourth Crusade. In fact, a lot of people didn't even know there was a Fourth Crusade. What, you numbered them? A bit like Rocky movies? Yeah, yeah, as it turns out, they did. But all that changed on a unusually sunny autumnal day in New York on September the 11th, 2001, when a group of Islamic terrorists hijacked four airplanes, crashed two of them into the World Trade Center towers in New York, one into the Pentagon in Washington, D.C., and the fourth one, which was apparently on the way to the Capitol, which is the big dome structure where the Senate and Congress sit, that one never made it that far. It actually crashed into a field near Pittsburgh in Pennsylvania. Thousands, literally thousands, died in one day through an act of religiously motivated violence. At that point, suddenly, the conversation about the Crusades and Jihad came to the forefront, like they hadn't for more than a century. And the thing is, when I was growing up, people would talk about Crusades as if the memory of them was good. You'd have sort of very innocuous phrases like a crusade against litter. One of the terms about Batman, he's called many different things, like the Dark Knight, but another one is the caped crusader. And yet he is not a necessarily a religious icon. And I want to read this out. So this is an, an excerpt of the letter that General Eisenhower had circulated to the Allied troops the day before D-Day to basically psych them up to go and do their duty as they landed on the beaches of Normandy or parachuted into Normandy. It starts, and I'm only going to read three sentences, it's okay. It starts as this. Soldiers, sailors, and airmen of the Allied Expeditionary Force, you are about to embark on a great crusade towards which we have striven these many months. So the way he is framing the invasion and basically the liberation of Western Europe is from the position of a crusade being a good thing. And I'm going to say that if you're a modern listener, you're probably a little uneasy with that comparison. Indeed, immediately after the 9-11 attacks, George W. Bush was the president of the United States, and he made one reference to a crusade in the Middle East. This crusade, this war on terrorism, uh, it's going to take a while. And basically, all his advisors got round him and went, are you crazy? Do you actually know what the Crusades were? Basically, we were the bad guys. The Christians were not the good guys. It was not peace and love in the Middle East. Stop using that word. You're only going to unify or drive more people to the cause of Al-Qaeda. So he never mentioned it again. It was a one-time thing, okay? So there is all this heavy baggage around the Crusades. And I'm going to start with the bit of the history. Here's the really weird thing. Crusades and Crusaders is not what was used by the Crusaders. 
they tended to call themselves pilgrims. The term crusade cropped up maybe a century or so later than the original First Crusade. And the thing about pilgrims is that they were going on a holy journey. This matches quite well. However, pilgrims were always meant to be kept at arm's length. Nobody was meant to interfere with pilgrims because the other thing everybody knew about pilgrims is they were unarmed. So if you were going to attack somebody who was going on a spiritual journey, you're a terrible human being. Stop that. Stop that now. But in the case of the Crusaders, obviously they broke that rule because they were dripping in arms and armour. So yeah, that was the exception, but there could be no greater pilgrimage than going to Jerusalem, which in the eyes of somebody in the Middle Ages was pretty much heaven on earth. Now, exactly what started the Crusades, I I start off with this conversation in the book Deus Vault about, ooh, hasn't the perception of Crusades changed over the last 25 years? And then I take you from the times of Jesus up to the First Crusade in one chapter. I do a thousand years in one chapter. I'm, I've always been proud of that fact. I mean, come on, that's pretty impressive, yes? But the reason for that is, obviously, if you read any of the New Testament, if you read any of the Gospels and Jesus' point of view on violence, it is unambiguous. It's turn the other cheek. It's do unto others as you would, as you would have done unto yourself. There is just nothing controversial that Jesus says in the Gospels. And yet, over the centuries, that turn the other cheek evolved into kill the unbelievers. So if you want to know the ins and outs, we don't have time and all of this in one podcast, okay? If you want to know, sorry, bit of a plug for the book, check out Deus Vault by Jem Daduchu. It's published by Ambly, so you can go onto Ambly Books website. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it anywhere where you can get a published book because... It, that's how publishing works, okay? But I then go into the, the First Crusade. So we're, we're now in 1095, Council Clermont in France, where the Pope decrees this revolutionary new idea about if you guys listen to me, the Pope, rather than your king, and you all go to Jerusalem and get rid of all those horrible infidels there, you will be guaranteed a place in heaven. Again, imagine if you were in the time when there was just no doubt about religion, faith, belief. I'm going to say it's very hard for modern people to get into the mindset of a medieval person because to them heaven and hell was super real. And even if you are a believer today, and you might be a devout believer, you're more aware today of all the other religions out there than you would be an average person in, let's say, France in the year 1095. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You have to know that Hinduism exists. You have to be aware of Islam is a legitimate religion that is believed by over a billion people and so on and so forth. But in those days, if you'd ever heard of a Muslim, highly unlikely, Muslim, infidel, pagan, unbeliever, all meant the same thing to you at that time. So the thing about knights is their job was to hit people over the head with swords. And it was also pretty clear in the Bible that, you know, thou shalt not kill. So that was a real problem for knights. So if you're now fighting for God, that is amazing. That is something that you can now do. You can do the job that you're good at and possibly enjoy too, but you're also guaranteed to go to heaven. And so the first crusade headed out. The journey from Europe to Jerusalem is an epic tale that I really don't have time to go into if I'm going to give you the overarching view of all the Crusades. But the first Crusade was epic, no doubt about it. Uh, it basically lasted for nearly five years, and there was an epic siege at a city called Antioch. Then there was um, there were multiple pitch battles. Uh, many times it looked like the Crusaders were going to get wiped out. What the Crusaders didn't realize is that they were lucky. They were arriving into modern day Turkey and then on into the Middle East at a time where there was basically a power vacuum. If they had arrived 20 years earlier, there would have been a relatively unified 
Islamic civilization waiting for them that could coordinate their response and probably would have wiped them out. Same thing if they'd come in 20 years or so later as well, but they came in at a time when it was lots of little warlords who weren't really willing to help the other warlords, and so that they could, by accident, happy accident, they could just knock off each one, one after another, and nobody was really going to come and help and save them. Eventually they arrive at Jerusalem in 1099. There is a siege, which really they shouldn't have won, which they did. And then when they arrived in Jerusalem, the holiest place on planet Earth to these Christians, they conducted one of the bloodiest massacres in Jerusalem's long and bloody history. We have eyewitness accounts that talk about the blood in the Holy Sepulchre. This is the, the holiest of holy churches in Jerusalem where men had blood up to the bridles of their horses. Now, it's widely considered that this is exaggerated because it has an almost Book of Revelation levels of sort of blood and thunder and, well, not so much catastrophe because it was absolutely seen as a good thing, but a cleansing, a blood cleansing of all these dirty infidels in this city. Ignoring the fact that there were thousands of Eastern Christians there and the Jews who had literally nothing to do with the Islamic empires that they were sort of attacking. And also pretty much all these people were, you know, innocent civilians. So we shouldn't be hacking them to pieces in the first place. So this is a terrible crime and something that's been largely forgotten. That's how the first crusade ended. But now you had all these Christian powers owning chunks of the Middle East. And so we get a setting up of four different states. There's the Principality of Antioch, the County of Edessa, the County of Tripoli, yes, and the Kingdom of Jerusalem. And look, cutting a long story short, again, over the years, these aren't particularly well run. And the other problem is that the Allies are way over into the, into the West, places like modern-day Italy, France, Germany, Britain, which is a long way to get anything over to the Middle East, particularly with medieval transport systems. So a lot of these people in the local area kind of went a bit native. To be blunt, the Islamic civilization was more cultured than the Western one. There were more regular baths. There was the reading of philosophy. There was complex arithmetic available. All these sorts of things just weren't available in the West. Housing was better. Lemons were available for the first time. Spices like pepper were reintroduced to the West as people picked up their take that taste again. I could go on. So the point is it was very exotic, but it started being attacked by the Islamic powers that slowly formed together into a more unified group. Second Crusade, basically a bunch of kings from Europe turned up and they paid no attention to the locals who said, you know, you really need to help us towards the south. It's like, no, nobody's heard of those cities. Everybody's heard of Damascus. Let's attack Damascus. And that was a real problem because Damascus was the one Muslim ally to the Crusader states, the sort of Christian realms in the Middle East. So they attacked that, failed to capture it, which forced the local emir, the local leader of Damascus, to now side with his natural Islamic enemies against the Christians. So it made the situation worse. And so there, there continued to be catastrophe after capitulation as these kingdoms in the east 
slowly faded away one campaign and one bad decision at a time to the point where it was down to one city when the third crusade turned up this was led by the german emperor who managed to promptly drown in a small river in eastern modern-day turkey so he never made it and his huge hundred thousand man army almost all of them went home big problem for a campaign and then you got the king of france he turned up but kind of got a bit bored so headed home but then you got richard the first of england you know that that great daring do this is the legendary stuff yeah although let's be honest about it in his 10-year reign he spent 11 months in england and he even said he would sell london if he could only find a buyer never bothered to learn the language he spoke french and but there's no doubt he was a military genius first of all he worked out that you know what walking all the way from western europe to the middle east is really dangerous and it didn't do very well for the previous crusades so why don't we go on ships it's quicker we can carry more stuff and that seems to make a lot more sense so they did and actually on the way to the crusades there was a series of violent clashes in the iberian peninsula modern day spain and portugal and actually it was richard on his way to the third crusade who landed at lisbon the now capital of portugal and helped the christians capture this islamic city and had been islamic for centuries so that was actually a major victory for the third crusade that's, that's largely being forgotten richard came all the way to the middle east and he realized he didn't have enough men because the german emperor had died oops but it also made richard he was always going to play second fiddle to an emperor so it actually thrust him to the forefront here he fights saladin you know the great islamic leader he was kurdish in terms of his his origins and they never actually met face to face or anything like that but the thing is saladin was a great military leader and the thing is richard beat him every time and then when richard on his way back got captured yes that, that element of the robin hood thing is true everything else is false king richard back from the crusades boy now i'm in trouble but he eventually came back to england and he he then continued to fight the french king who had also been on that crusade with him a guy called philip augustus and he kept beating philip augustus every single time so you've got two of the best warriors of the age who whenever they're not fighting richard the lionheart keep winning battles but every time they fight richard the lionheart they lose and that's why most people have to begrudgingly say richard was very good at fighting he was very bad at everything else but yeah so that's that so we're now on to the third crusade so the first crusade was in the 1090s the second crusade was in the middle of the 1100s and now we got the third crusade in the 1180s but while all this is going on and you can see this is very much running into probably what you know about the crusades oh it's all in the middle east it's all against muslims you're right but by now there were the so-called northern crusades happening and these were with various germanic groups christian groups fighting in kind of what is now modern day ukraine poland northern poland and also places like the baltic particularly estonia estonia in the 1100s was the last bastion of paganism in europe yeah there were still pagans around at this time at the time of sort of 1066 and the battle of hastings 
Why is Estonia not pagan anymore? Because of the brutal treatment of the local population by these invading Christian knights and warriors. So, yes, it wasn't just against the Muslims in the East. Then the longest crusade, which was in the early 1200s, is the so-called Albigensian Crusade. This was northern France versus southern France, because in the south of France there were heretics. Now I told in the last episode about Warhammer, I talked a bit about heretics. They're not believers of the official line of belief as brought out by the Pope. So these were different types of Christians. And so you've got a number of horrific massacres going on here because you can't tell the difference between a believer, proper believer Frenchman and an evil heretic Frenchman. So in the words of a papal legate on one of the crusades, kill them all for God shall know his own. In other words, if we kill everybody back at heaven, they'll be able to do the processing where the the good people go to heaven and all those nasty heretics will burn in hell. So we're kind of doing everybody a, a favor by killing everybody, which is horrific. And there's just no way around it. Around it. That's a war crime of horrific magnitude. But again, this is not against Muslims and this isn't happening in the Middle East either. Fourth Crusade, everybody's caught onto this boat thing that Richard had invented. So the boats are hired en masse from Venice. Problem is, not enough crusaders turn up. So Venice says, well, we spent a fortune on these boats and you haven't paid for them, so we own the crusade now. So what we're going to pay off the crusade, you're going to go to this horrible city called Zara we just can't get under control. And everybody went, hang on, isn't Zara full of Christians? They went, yep, fine, but you're still going to fight it. During the siege, well, for starters, the Pope excommunicated, said you're not Christian to all these Christian knights on a Christian crusade which was pretty embarrassing for everybody, and eventually the Pope backed down. But as they were attacking Zara, the, the local population literally hung flags with the cross on it to remind the Crusaders that they were attacking a Christian city. It was an utter debacle, and the Fourth Crusade limped on to Constantinople, the source of Greek Orthodox Christianity, which was a competitor to Catholic Christian Christianity. So the Pope didn't get on well with the Patriarch of Constantinople. They were kind of enemies, but they did believe in Jesus. And this led to, in 1204, the sacking of Constantinople, the introduction of this sort of false emperor, Byzantine Byzantine emperor. They installed the throne. And for about 50 years, you get the Latin kingdom of the Byzantine Empire. So it sort of became part of the Crusader movement for a time, for a couple of generations, if you like. By now, the Fifth Crusade, they realize most of the Islamic power is in Egypt, so they don't even go to the Middle East. They land in Egypt and march down the Nile, the mouth of the Nile, there's a fortress where there was an epic siege called Damietta. This is why, you might have noticed, I keep using the S-word, siege, over and over again, and there is general consensus amongst Crusader historians saying it is really a story of multiple sieges. And so, yes, Damietta goes really well. Then they march down the Nile, and the Sultan opens the floodgates, and literally floodgates, floods the Nile Delta, and the Crusade basically ends up standing there in a bog. Even the French king gets captured at that point. And look, I could go on, but I think the point here is that the further on we go in this conversation, the less and less effective these crusades are. The first one is, there's no doubt, huge victory. But after that, it's a law very much of diminishing returns, except in Northern Europe and except in Spain, where this catching on of this idea of fighting for God against an alien threat, in inverted commas, 
that sort of picked up and, and people quite like that. The other thing I'm going to say, which is very much linked to back to the space crusades and the, and particularly the space marines as well, is amongst all of this, you had the, the cream of chivalry, all the greatest knights and nobles in Europe would want to go on crusade. Whether they did or not, that can be a problem. So for example, Richard the Lionheart technically was never meant to go on crusade, but because his dad, Henry II, said, yeah, I'm definitely going to go on crusade, but just never got round to it, it was kind of passed on to Richard and it was sort of became his obligation. I'm not saying everybody went on them, but these people tended to be sort of very heavily armed and armoured compared to particularly the, the Muslim. For example, the knights of this time, they didn't have full plate armour, but they had the whole mail suit, you know, the, the chain mail, as you would call it, with a full face helm, and they'd have a lance and they'd be on the back of a stallion. So they were heavy cavalry, whereas the Muslims invariably wore very little armour. They would have horse archers and they'd be on mares or female horses. So they were far more agile. And a lot of the battles boiled down to if the crusader cavalry could pin down the Islamic forces, it was like a hot knife through butter. If, however, there was plenty of space for maneuvering, the heavy cavalry could never catch up with all these horse archers and probably the Muslims, Turks, Saracens, lots of different groups here would end up winning the day. But yes, not only were there these chivalrous knights, but there was the military orders. And these people were quite often like the third or fourth son of like the Baron of Bloody Blah or the Duke of what, what you might call it. And rather than being monks, they basically were monks, only instead of all that praying and writing of, of scriptures, they fought. So they lived communally. They had to take a vow of chastity and also a vow of poverty. And some of these groups you've heard of, the Knights Hospitaller, the Knights Templar. The Knights Templar and the Teutonic Knights, which they did fight in the Middle East, but most of their efforts were in these Northern Crusades that I'd, that I'd mentioned. And if you think about it, these people were the best trained, best equipped, best armored people in the whole of Europe and possibly the Middle East as well. Best of the best of the best, sir, <laughs> yeah, with honors. They were as close in the Middle Ages to the space marines of Warhammer that you could possibly get. And it's no surprise that there are certain groups in the space marines of Warhammer that distinctly have knightly elements to it. For starters, they're referred to, their groups are referred to as chapters, which is also an organizational phrase in both monastic life and military orders life. But yeah, a number of these space knights basically have swords and visors that are very similar to medieval helms. So there's absolutely that DNA there as well. So there's a lot more of crusades in this than you'd think. But when you hear about these sort of massacres and appalling errors of judgment, do we really want to be associating anything with that? In any game, nobody refers to holocausts because we all agree that the holocaust was evil and awful and terrible for very, very good reasons. But the Crusades happened so long ago that they've kind of been half forgotten. They kind of committed to being connected to them. But the more you dig into it, it's like, I'm not sure you want to be associated with something like that either because they lost or because of all the unnecessary death and destruction. So look, as always, if you like this, if you like the Warhammer ones, let me know, drop me a line. I, I specifically had some people saying really like the last one. No, and if you can't stand any Warhammer, war, more Warhammer, that's also useful to know. So, you know, send me a message, let me know, give me your thoughts. However, I also need you guys to give us a review. 
Tell one other person about us. Give us a five-star review if you can. Click on the links, all this good stuff. Subscribe as well. All these things help grow the podcast. And there will be another episode next week. Who knows what it's going to be? Actually, actually, I know. But I'm not going to tell you yet. All right? Everybody, take care and hopefully see you soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.